This is Healing Choices, conversations on addiction and recovery. In this episode, we discuss how to deal with negative emotions through mindfulness. At the time of this recording, COVID-19, also known as coronavirus, had just reached the United States. Since then, the virus has become a global pandemic and shaken up daily life, causing uncertainty and anxiety for many people. People who already experience a mental health disorder, including many people in recovery, can be especially affected. In times like these, dealing with stress, anxiety, fear, anger, and other natural responses can be difficult, but the Council on Recovery offers many different methods to understand and process these emotions. One of these methods is mindfulness, an option that has rapidly become more accepted by the addiction recovery community due to its success rate and universal applicability. Caitlin Payne joins Mel Taylor and Lori Feaster to discuss what mindfulness is and how it can improve your life during times of stress and uncertainty, whether or not you are impacted by addiction. Welcome. My name is Lori Feaster. I am the clinical director at the Center for Recovering Families at the Council on Recovery. And today's topic for our podcast is mindfulness. I have two experts in our area of mindfulness here at the council, uh, Caitlin Payne and Mel Taylor. Would you both uh, introduce yourselves and tell me what you think mindfulness is? Yeah, so like Lori said, my name is Caitlin. I am one of our therapists here with the Center for Recovering Families at the Council on Recovery. I lead our mindfulness and recovery group. And when it comes to Defining mindfulness for me, I really always return to, and with my clients, return to John Kabat-Zinn's definition of mindfulness. And for those of you that don't know who John Kabat-Zinn is, he's the creator of mindfulness-based stress reduction, and uh, he also wrote Full Catastrophe Living, which is a book that anyone should read, Um, and just someone who's really respected in the mindfulness community. Um, But his definition is that mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. So to break that down a little bit, it's not necessarily um, trying to clear the mind or think about nothing. It's choosing a focus, something that is in your present moment experience. So it could be the breath, it could be sound, it could be sensations happening in the body, and to observe that in a way that's non-judgmental. And so by non-judgmental, we're not talking about, uh, oh, I think that's stupid or, or like this. Te- it's wrong. Yeah, this, this normal negative connotation. Mm-hmm. It could be that, but mm-hmm. it's really just the evaluations that we assign to things. Mm-hmm. And so seeing if we can observe our present moment experience with a neutral stance, just inviting curiosity in. Well, I, I uh, as I, I'm the CEO here at the council, and I don't often in in my day-to-day work uh, get a chance to really experiment or experience some of the things that I do in my personal recovery practice. And for about the past uh, 13 years, uh, when I quit running, I started doing yoga. And with yoga came mindfulness and a meditation at the end of yoga. And I kept really 
finding myself being so peaceful and calm in just those few minutes of what we call shavasana in yoga or just being still. And, and I started doing research about it and uh, came to learn a whole lot more about the relationship between yoga and mindfulness and meditation as a process of, of uh, developing our, our minds, our brains, our awareness uh, around how we think and how we process information. Um, I, I, I too love John Kabat-Zinn. You, 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 the, the world cannot, can't learn mindfulness unless you come across his work and his, his passion. And there are many kinds of meditation and many intentions behind mindfulness. Um, but uh, there's, there was a, the old cliche in Alcoholics uh, Anonymous and other places, keep on doing the same thing and expecting different result, the definition of insanity. Well, Einstein said it another way, and that solving a problem involves a different level of thinking from what caused the problem. It got me curious that, what does that mean? How do I change the, the level of how I think? And so I started looking at and began studying and just finishing up um, certification for teacher training uh, at the Mindfulness Center out of Bethesda, Maryland, who said it's really about letting the brain uh, become more natural in the way it thinks, in the way it relaxes. Uh, we could talk brain science for the next several hours. That's really not what's important, but what's important is in our daily lives, we zoom, 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 and we never know what we feel. We only know what we think. We spend our day in what we think, and especially if we've been using substances or processes to numb some of our feelings for many, many years, all of a sudden, it's like, what do I do with all this chatter that's going on between my ears? And, and I found it very comforting to be in a place where I could meditate. And so for many years now, I've included meditation, just being still for a few minutes every day. Um, and if you know my office, you know that I have chairs set up in a certain way, and it allows me just to sit there and be still and let my mind go to a place where I can feel what I feel uh, and know what those are and become aware of those. To me, that's kind of the relationship between mindfulness and awareness. Does that make sense to you, Caitlin, and what you're, what you're doing? Absolutely. I really appreciate what, what you shared about, um, to, what I took from it is this idea of so often we are at war with what's happening in our minds and our thoughts. And I, I have so many clients where it's such a struggle that not to assign meaning to, to thoughts that why am I thinking this? What does that say about me? Am I a bad person? Why can't I get over this? Why can't, and it's this feeling that something's wrong with what we're experiencing and, and so often disconnected from the body. I know mindfulness has helped me to really repair and cultivate a positive relationship with my body to come into what I'm experiencing. Um, I think it so often, you know, our body has a reaction and we're trying to make it go away and it feels like we're just trying to hold everything together and, and that we're tightening around it. And, and so through mindfulness, I think I have been able to 
bring some spaciousness to that, to, to loosen up a little bit. Which is a lot of our problems anyways with anxiety and depression is the body holds a score. When as we are clutching and tensing and experiencing our lives through our daily being, um, stuff gathers. And when I say stuff, it's all these things that aren't processed um, in our regular world because it goes so fast and because we go so fast. Um, it's my understanding that we have 80,000 thoughts a day, and which I would love to see who counted that. Yeah. A, right? <laughs> who can do that? But those thoughts are also not necessarily on the positive side. We are wired for negativity. That's how our species has survived. Um, we, you know, we're waiting for that pterodactyl to come down and, and clump us away. We don't have those pterodactyls anymore, but we sure have I-10 traffic, right? We still have these people who are commenting us on social media or giving us, you know, just negativity all of the time. And so how, this is, again, how do we stay in that awareness or that uh, felt sense when we've got all of this coming at us? I, I would offer a an interesting uh, idea uh, that I, I've both taken from my practice, but also it, it's from my time where I would spend alone being a photographer. And if I would sit out there in the woods and I'm scanning the horizon and I'm just looking, I'm just out there and I'm seeing all of the trees or all of the field and I'm aware of that. And what I, what I find out is, what I've learned about me is that I begun to calm down. And I quit listening to the thoughts between my ears and I begin to focus outwards. It doesn't mean that the thoughts aren't going on. I talk to myself as we all do all the time, but I let some of those pass as I'm watching the horizon, but let an animal or a movement show up on that horizon and I immediately, you mentioned the pterodactyl, mm -hmm. we immediately zoom in. Our brain says threat, safety, danger, and we immediately move in and focus just on that and no longer see everything. But we're focused on just that piece and if it's fear, then we get armed and ready for taking care of ourselves. If it's fright, if it's anger, then we summon up what we need and the brain is amazing about letting us do that and telling the body, hey, it's, it's uh, danger, Will Robinson, get, <laughs> get alert. And, and I really find that if I'm able to, okay, let go of that one little spot and just let the horizon be there and just be aware, uh, let it all pass like clouds, you know, isn't that interesting? Oh, I'm thinking that, you know, hi fear, uh, hi danger, nice to see you, but it's not real, it's just come up. And I'm welcoming of that. Caitlin, I think you reference to that when I hear you talk to clients as if it's a train passing through and you're the passenger. You yes. want to talk more about that? Yeah. So I think it's, it's a very human experience to want to push our emotions away or um, to want to try not to feel them or to get stuck in them. Um, I think mindfulness provides us with the opportunity to change our relationship with our emotions um, and, and with our thoughts that... Sometimes it feels like we're ruminating and these thoughts get stuck in the head. And so there are different tools that we can use through mindfulness to allow those things to pass. You know, imagining using the imagery of a train passing by or leaves floating down a stream, clouds going by in the mm -hmm. sky, 
um, creating the separation that allows us to be less reactive to it. So um, kind of less attachment. We're not attaching to yes. that thought or feeling and yeah. making it who we are. Yeah. Yeah. I had a Buddhist instructor once who said, in, in a Buddhist therapist, and he said, Mel, when you feel shame, if it were on a scale of one to ten, where do you go? And I said, oh, ten. And he said, what if you stopped at two and then let it go? I went, Wow, <laughs> you know, became that's really where I got curious in that. Uh, yeah, I think that makes me think of. I love this phrase. It's that pain plus non-acceptance equals suffering, and it's through mindfulness we learn to cultivate this acceptance, um, and really this idea that to separate out pain itself from the experience of suffering. Our suffering is where we try to deny our current experience or try to make it go away. Um, we'll, we will never escape pain. It's part of the human experience. Um, but we do have the opportunity to deal with our pain in a way that prevents us from long-term suffering. Um, and I think mindfulness is a, a tool to do that. Um, I wonder, I know that you said earlier um, that the biology of it not so important but I'm curious for the science people who might be listening it's something that I find fascinating because we're talking about the amygdala and our fear center and this more primitive part of the brain this part of our midbrain that is in charge of our fight flight and freeze response and I think it's important when it comes to mindfulness to to really answer, like, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. What? How does it benefit us? And I know for me, it helps me to understand some of the science behind it. Um, I think research has shown that mindfulness can actually reduce the activity of the amygdala, that reactiveness. Um, the amygdala is our emotion center. It's, like I said, that fight, flight, and freeze response. There are some studies that even show that it can reduce the mass of the amygdala, actually make it smaller. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it also allows us to strengthen the connection between our midbrain and our prefrontal cortex, which is so important, especially in addiction recovery. Um, I think for those of you who aren't familiar with the prefrontal cortex, it's essentially this part of the brain that makes us us. It's in charge of our decision-making. Um, it really is where our personality expresses itself. And so in mindfulness, we strengthen the actual physiological connections between this emotion center, this impulse center, and our ability to regulate. Is this the same as what fires together wires together? So if, I'm, if I am building breath and experience to take a pause when I see that animal in the forest, um, then I'm going to have more opportunity to go to my prefrontal cortex and experience that well, way? we can become more logical. We can go, okay, instead of being threatened at a 10, we can go, oh, hold on, you react this way, calm down, take a few breaths, oh, all right, it's really not as bad as it was. We can, the logic, the prefrontal cortex, that part of our brain that keeps us us says, no, 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 don't, don't get hijacked by that emotional response. Know what it is. Um, when we're talking about addiction, frequently as we're, we have people in early recovery, um, what ends up happening is that they're not aware of what the body is feeling. The brain is, is firing on all cylinders trying to find balance and trying to find some 
you know, what do I do? How do I regulate this body? And what I found with, with particularly a meditation practice, and that is that I can become what they, what they, what they refer to as interoceptive, meaning if I sit in them, I'm calm for five or 10 minutes, I become aware of what my body is actually feeling rather than what my brain tells me I'm supposed to feel. And so I can become curious about that. I can notice in my body if I'm at this place during a meditation or a, a, a mindfulness session where I can go, okay, my left shoulder is much tighter than my right. Isn't that interesting? Or if you practice a little bit, I can actually feel my heartbeat. Uh, and know whether it's beating really fast or whether it's slowing down. And I think that's what, particularly for people in recovery who've used to numbing that all out and not feeling it, there's a big surprise that people are, are in store for when they become more in touch. You know, it's the connection between head and heart is what we say, but it's the connection between our prefrontal cortex and the rest of us. And we essentially have gates that open and close. And our organs, a lot of them, we breathe without thinking about it. Our heart beats without us ever being aware. What if we become aware of those things and naturally aware? Uh, I had a, a person recently who said, I know what I feel. I want to know what I feel when I feel it. And I want to be grateful for that feeling, whether it's fear, anger, joy, uh, sadness. I want to feel it and be grateful for it. And I think that's what meditation does is it opens that up and lets us understand and manage those more. Does that make sense to you, Kaylin? Absolutely. I, you're making me think of a particular skill that I talk about um, that comes from mindfulness-based relapse prevention, which is a therapy that was developed at the University of Washington. Um, it combines both mindfulness-based stress reduction created by John Kabat-Zinn and relapse prevention therapy by Dr. Alan Marlott. And a skill that they talk about is called sober breathing. Mm -hmm. It's an acronym, which mm -hmm. makes it really easy to remember. Um, and it's this idea of inviting in a moment of mindfulness, helping yourself to pull out of autopilot and to create more choice. Mm -hmm. So much of the problem or not, not necessarily problem, but, but part of our experience is that we're on autopilot. Something happens and maybe the amygdala gets activated and we are 10 steps ahead before we even realize what we're feeling or we're what triggered. we're doing. Yes. We're triggered. We're triggered. Yeah. Yes. And so through sober breathing, and it's just this idea of stopping, observing, focusing on the breath, expanding back out to become aware of the body again, and then being ready to respond. So it, it can be a moment, it can be many minutes, it can be as long as you need it to be, but it's an opportunity to create choice. I talk about inviting in this awareness of values during that experience of what's most important to me in this moment. At bringing that into, into my awareness as I'm holding a more open, more spacious awareness in my body, what's, what sensations am I experiencing? What thoughts, what emotions? Am I having any urges? I think this is particularly helpful in addiction with the experience of cravings. When a craving comes up, it feels like it's never gonna end. And that it can be very scary that mm -hmm. someone is bound to act on it and they don't know uh, what to do, they feel like they can't trust themselves, can you slow down and ride it out and really get in touch with what you're experiencing in this non-judgmental way, knowing that no, even if you do nothing, it will eventually go mm -hmm. away. And I, you know, 
I would like you to even add on to, because not only are you doing the mindfulness in our intensive outpatient programming, but you're also leading an intensive outpatient program group. So, and in one of those groups, you are doing meditation because you and I are sharing AccuDetox. Yes. Um, so I, I would wonder, what do you see those clients get from that experience? Yeah. So I think in our intensive outpatient program, one of the awesome things is we have two different skills groups that people can go into. One is mindfulness and recovery, which I mentioned that I lead. We also have DBT skills. But, What's DBT? Uh, uh, DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy. Okay. So it is um, developed by Dr. Marsha Linehan, and it is something that's been shown to be helpful um, in making behavioral changes. It has multiple components, but a major component of it is mindfulness. Mm -hmm. So mindfulness is woven into mm -hmm. all of the treatment that our clients receive mm -hmm. here. And so in our process groups, I always start the group with a meditation because we've often come from either work or somewhere, somewhere else, our thoughts are elsewhere. We need time to ground and center into the space. Um, I think it helps clients to be more present uh, especially as they're checking in, getting in touch with what they're feeling in that moment, because mm -hmm. we're wanting to know what's, what's happening with you, how do you want to use this time, what would be most helpful for you, what's happening in your body, what emotions are you experiencing, what do we need to spend this time on today? Mm -hmm. I think a meditation is a great way to start that, and through AccuDetox, helping people to really get in touch with their physical experience. And just for a, a brief promo there about AccuDetox, this is... Uh acupuncture that is done in the area of your ear to assist with craving, settling, and just kind of calming down the whole entire system. We're offering it in our intensive outpatient group as well as a drop-in group on at 11, 11 on Wednesday mornings. <laughs> so I, as I'm hearing us talk and I'm trying to put myself as I've I tried to do um, is I'm out there and I'm struggling and I'm looking and I'm concerned and I'm thinking does does this meditation stuff really work Caitlin and I, I think both know from our training uh, some of the results that are happening around the country and if not around the world uh, beginning to really use these techniques and there's more than one kind of meditation by the way Absolutely. there are many kinds of meditation uh, and the and the intent for me, mindfulness and meditation are not the same. They're mirror-like. Uh, meditation is a means toward becoming more mindful. Mindful, uh, which I, I like uh, one of my teachers uh, said that mindfulness is becoming aware of our curiosity. And by that, not having to have the answers, but being aware of the things that are coming up and maybe asking ourselves, rather than having to have the answer, because we're in this Zoom get her done society, fix it, move on, fix it, move on. You have 10 minutes to finish this deadline. You know, that lifestyle creates a different pattern. We don't know what we think 
at all, let alone we don't know what we feel until we stop long enough to do it. And if we don't take care of ourselves in that way, we can't be curious. We can't be aware of what's going on. So when we're sick, we're not even aware that maybe it was a stress reaction mm -hmm. or a trauma reaction mm -hmm. or a trigger due right. to something in our addiction that has emerged. And so I like what you were saying, Caitlin, about being curious, noticing, but notice without judgment, being aware, but not having to rush to fix it. Just let it be and let it come. Allowing. And allowing, if you will, it to pass. And what we know now that we're a little bit more in recovery is that those cravings do pass. Mm -hmm. uh, and especially if we become more insightful and aware of how our body reacts. Our body don't lie, as you said earlier. It's the best truth teller we got. But if we spend all our time not concentrating and being aware of what our body's doing, how are we gonna know? So it's not not a lot of mumbo jumbo there's real brain science behind this and there's real we're seeing real results in our program part of over the past I'd say 10 years that mindfulness is and is beginning to really show up and we're seeing it in not only our program but other programs we're seeing clients use this as a way of staying sober as a way of healing um, I know from my own practice it has helped me just deal with my own anxiety issues and it allows me to settle when in the past I'd probably want to pull my hair out. <laughs> so um, I think this is a wonderful uh, practice and um, I'm really grateful that the council has so much support. Uh, not only do we offer these things in our intensive outpatient program, but we have yoga here, we have AccuDetox, we have wonderful opportunities. But I also know it's, if it's not here, it's elsewhere. Mel, where are other places, or Caitlin? Where? Well, uh, there are yoga studios around, and, and gratefully, many of them are very aware of the importance of, of including more meditation into their yoga practice, in addition to that that we do here. Um, I think that it's it's about taking that step. You know, you've been meaning to do it. I guess my counter question to, to Caitlin would be, to the curious individual who knows nothing and who's struggling with relapse, and you, you have an elevator opportunity, to, three minutes to tell them, hey, what should, what should I do about, you know, I'm really struggling with relapse. What would you tell them? Yeah, I think it's it's all about just taking that first step. Whatever that may look like for you. I think the council is here. Um, we have the ability to point people in whatever direction they need to go in determining what's best for them, what, what they feel like they need. Um, I think in terms of, of mindfulness and meditation, I had this question posed to me of, um, like what is the best way to practice and mm -hmm. I don't know that there is a best way I think what I would say is just often mm -hmm. I think there's a cumulative benefit to this and so as someone is breaking into recovery and perhaps going to treatment or incorporating mindfulness into their life um, I think just getting in there and trying some things out there is no one way to practice mindfulness. It can be woven into anything that you do throughout your day. It can be formal sitting practice, sitting meditations, focusing on the breath, focusing on 
the mind, the body. Um, I think it there is a misconception that there like are successful meditations, right? Um, and in actuality, and, and I thought of this when you were talking earlier, Mel, about um, like what does it mean? Like, what does it mean for it to work? What are we trying to get out of this? And that's so often something that I challenge with my clients is that there is no correct or successful meditation. It just is. And it's not about striving. Yeah. It's about being. Yeah. Allowing. The mind may wander a thousand times, and that just is what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It, I think um, for those seeking mindfulness practice or for those seeking recovery, um, just taking that first step. Mm-hmm. So I, I appreciate both of you being here for this uh, podcast. This has been a wonderful way of learning and hearing more about what mindfulness can bring, not only to those practitioners, but to those folks that are seeking help. So thank you for listening and being here with us today. Thank you, Lori. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by the Council on Recovery, Houston's largest nonprofit provider of prevention, education, outpatient treatment, and recovery services. For more information on the Council's work, you can visit www.councilonrecovery.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. If you or your loved one needs help with an addiction or co-occurring disorder, call 713-914-0556 to schedule a screening or assessment. You know someone who needs us.